like it or not, our lives today revolve around the use of electronic devices. But what are we going to do with all of that electronic waste? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is your Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The release of the iPhone 6 has brought the issue of e-waste to a tipping point. That's the opinion of Linda Lee, Executive Director and Corporate Vice President of Strategy with Lee Tong Group. Her company handles reverse supply chain management for consumer and business electronics. With all of the attention being paid to recycling these days, you might think that we've solved the problem of where to put the waste and how to reuse the maximum amount of materials from old equipment. Far from it. In 2014, up to 85% of electronic products were discarded in landfills or incinerators. And while e-waste accounts for just 2% of trash in American landfills, it makes up 70% of overall toxic waste. So it's essential that we do a better job of managing the reverse supply chain for electronics. Lee tells us how Lee Tong approaches the challenge and talks about how we can create a closed-loop supply chain for high-tech products and even make a profit doing it. So here is my conversation with Linda Lee. Linda Lee, welcome to the program. Hello, Bob. Thank you for having me here. So we're going to talk about the issue of electronic waste. My understanding is, and I think you folks have said this yourself, that with the release of the iPhone 6, it has brought this whole issue to a so-called tipping point. What do you mean by that? For a long time now, we have witnessed the increasingly fast industry's clock speed of the high-tech industry, especially those are... Uh, into developing new products for the consumers every day. Um, but with the iPhone 6, re- 6 release, as you've mentioned, what we thought was going to slow down is not going to. So everybody realizes that this is going to just, as you said, reach a tipping point that um, if um, OEMs or innovators keep on developing newer and better products, um, the consumers are more than willing to keep up. So the driving force of the whole industry, uh, in addition to innovation, but also the increasingly penetration of the mobile Internet and how integrated people's lives are with technology and with mobile Internet is definitely going to drive consumption and production even higher. What is the scope of the problem as you see it right now in terms of the amount of waste, uh, electronic product waste that actually still ends up in landfills and is not recovered? This number changes and depends on which source it comes from. It varies, but every country has its own tracking and reporting. But typically in, uh, in developed countries in the Western world, we have the European WE uh, directive in place, and then most North American countries have very eco-environmental conscious consumers. So 
I believe the problem is not proliferating fast as it is in some developing countries. So, as you may know, the supply chain uh, of most of these high-tech OEMs is in Asia or other developed areas, and then the consumers are less educated about environmentally contracted when it comes to uh, disposing the end-of-life electronics. So I would say that the electronics that does end up in landfills um, is growing, but because also people realize that there are valuable material that can be recovered from these mobile devices. So they're not going into the landfill directly. Um, they go through some very amateur or, or not professional standardized way of processing or dismantling and folks trying to get um, precious metal, whatever it is, out of the devices and then end up the batteries and the plastic um, end up in the landfill, which is actually a more significant and dangerous hazard than just the landfill rate alone. I'm hearing that upwards of 85% of electronic products were discarded in landfills or incinerators in 2014, this year. That seems rather shocking to me, considering, as you say, that there have been a number of regulations already on the books now for several years, especially in Europe, on controlling the return uh, and recycling of hazardous materials and electronics products. So I, I just must say that I'm a bit surprised to hear that more progress hasn't been made considering what I thought was a pretty high public profile for this issue. Can you explain why we haven't come farther in this, in this issue? Mainly, I think, is because in most developed countries especially, it has become rather costly for both consumers and OEMs who need to take their producers' responsibility to do a very thorough, integrated take-back program or recycling scheme, um, for example. So mostly they're just relying on what the government has implemented in place that is subsidized by the government uh, in the municipalities. That is obviously insufficient to catch up with, as I said, the proliferation of more and more electronic products in our lives. And as you say, it's not a question of people doing nothing. There have been efforts to recycle, but your point, I guess, is that it's just not adequate, that it's not fully recovering all the materials that can potentially be recovered from these products, right? Yes, and one thing that I have found from my years of experiences in the industry, the, another challenge which is, re, which is resulting what you just mentioned is the lack of collaboration and integration in uh, what we call an overall green uh, reverse supply chain management practices. So it's not just recycling, um, but for example, if um, each individual party involved, the collector and then the processor, you know, the recycler, and then the ones that are pro uh, providing deeper treatment of specialized materials, none of them are collaborating or talking to each other. Uh, that's one of the biggest problems that I've found. Everybody's just focused on doing their thing and making mm, the best economic return they, they can on their area of expertise. And there's really no supply chain collaboration or value chain collaboration. And that results in very costly effort every step along the way. So resources are not shared. Some costs are redundant. For example, moving, transporting the end-of-life products from one place to another 
over and over again. So that was a result in, in carbon footprint from from logistic point of view. So in, in my experience, um, when parties do work together in a collaborative, integrated manner, an end-to-end solution is the best way to improve and significantly improve, number one, the recovery and recycling rate, and B, also can uh, decrease the cost uh, of a lot of these processes. And uh, so everyone can become more independent from the government subsidies. And in fact, uh, the businesses involved in this industry can grow on their own. So that's what I see as a potential solution to this problem. So where I live, we have regular times at which uh, you can turn in your electronic waste, your old computers. There's uh, centers set up temporarily and even even permanent centers here in my city where that can be done. And yet if I do that, if I participate in that, if I just take my old computers, my old cell phones, and I give it to those collection points, I should not assume that the problem has been solved, right? No, because um, number one is your if it's something personal, a computer, a mobile device, you need to make sure that the person who's handling it is um, for, number one um, have uh, mechanisms in place to permanently remove all the data, um, your personal information, whatever you may have left in there from the devices. So first of all, are they equipped with that person, uh, that capability? That's step number one. As a as individual, I will worry about. But in addition to that, yes, I think um, uh, one needs to know how it's being handled after you dropped off at the collection point, um, and uh, where it's the downstream. So we call downstream management or downstream tracking. So to what degree has it been dismantled? Um, processed and reused or re- uh, recovered, and then what ends up in what's the landfill rate? So, uh, yes, as a consumer, you feel like you've dropped it off at an official collect point, collection point, and your duties or responsibility is is over. That may not be so necessarily. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the specific steps that need to be taken in order to create a really viable supply chain of e-waste recycling and recovery. First of all, setting up the basic infrastructure. What is required there in terms of how many, I guess, the whole transportation system and the and the centers themselves and the people required? This sounds like a pretty big task. I mean, from Lee Tong's point of view, you do this on a regular basis. What kind of an infrastructure is required? We work with global top-tier OEMs, some of the ones you have mentioned, but um, the top-tier OEMs are producing the most advanced electronic products or mobile devices uh, in your everyday life. And as you may know, these OEMs run a massive and complex global supply chain network. So we get involved at the supply chain management level, not necessarily only at the end when things have already become junk. We work with the OEMs probably even before the product launch or as soon as the product is launched. We design an end-to-end solution for them. For example, uh, we have a global reverse logistic capability. So whether it's our own logistics fleet, but also working with 3PLs, so that's third-party logistic provider, uh, logistic service provider. And so we understand what the OEM supply chain network looks like and um, we understand the level of inventory uh, or 
that may be kept at each location, the kind of defective returns, access, obsolete devices and parts that can emerge from each country, each city or province or state. And uh, we schedule regular pickups uh, or collections from these different parts of the world. Beyond that, though, what's required of the physical infrastructure? Where, I mean, how many of these right. centers do you have to have? And, and what do these centers actually do? Uh, how much goes on within the four walls of any individual one? We have about uh, 13 wholly owned facilities around the world. And uh, these facilities need to be capable to, number one, uh, authenticate the product and identify, identify what it is. And then we, our engineers understand the built materials, what is in the device. So they are able to generate a reverse, almost, production or engineering order to take the devices apart. And uh, what sets Litone apart from all the other so-called recyclers is that we don't just put everything into a shredder and then recover the raw materials. We have the engineering capability of harvest components and par- reusable components and parts from the phone or from the devices. For example, could it be an LCD? Could be a Wi-Fi module? That is still, it's, even the device is dead, the parts are still good. So we can harvest and remanufacture those parts and give it a second life. So imagine the carbon footprint reduction in that instead of return it back to a raw material and be manufactured again. And then only those parts and components or casing, for example, that cannot be reused, then it goes into deeper processing with various different automated uh, equipment, for example, palletizing the plastic, shred the metal. The key to a good recycling plant is separation. When you treat a mixed metal and plastic, you will have junk coming out at the end of the line and not many of it can, not much of it can be reused or recovered. They just go into the landfill. Whereas if you separate your materials very finely, okay, and then, um, then you have very pure materials coming out at the end of the process and it can go back into the refineries and be used again, for example. And of course, all of this is everything, we have an ERP system in place, just like any manufacturing factory would have, to trace and track the whole process within our facility. So as soon as a a device or product enters our factory, how it's been taken apart, what end up coming out of it, whether it's parts or materials, we can trace and track and produce very thorough reports on those things. What about data destruction? Is that the responsibility of the previous owner of the device, or is that something you do to ensure against the uh, against this data being leaked to uh, unauthorized parties? Both. I think uh, there are very savvy consumers out there now. Before they recycle a device, they will do data sanitization themselves. But regardless of whether it has been done or not, all devices that enter into our facility, we perform the data sanitization to all devices. And then the software we use to wipe the data is OEM grade, so you can be assured that it's, you know, everything is very clean back to its original state. Or um, in some cases, 
extremely sensitive parts like the flash memory, for example, those are being put into a degaussing machine. That's a huge magnet that destroys the whole memory capability, and then and or it goes into physical destruction like a shredder. So you can be assured that everything that we handle, all data and memory, is clean. Not only are you dealing with sensitive data, you are dealing with actual physical materials such as gold and silver of very high value. So how do you ensure the security of these facilities? We buy a lot of insurance, <laughs> and we have 24-7 Security guards, obviously, uh, all of our facilities are audited by the OEM to their highest standards as if it were to be an actual manufacturing plant. So at the same, at the same level of standards of security, we have daily shipments going out to the, the refineries that are actually going to handle the actual um, precious metal, of course. They go to refineries. Who are they sold to? Are they sold to, like, uh, metals brokers, or are they sold back to the OEMs directly, or who, who gets possession of, of, of those? Okay. Well, for example, um, for, so for precious metal, obviously, uh, we do work with some of the most prestigious metal smelting refinery companies in the world, uh, many of them located in Europe, some in Japan, so we are long-term, long-time partners with those companies, and we hand over the materials to them, and then they produce very thorough uh, reports, uh, downstream tracking reports, so that we can provide it to our OEM customers. But um, in some cases, you mentioned a very interesting point, is what we call the closed-loop uh, recycling, or cradle-to-cradle. -cradle. That's the holy grail of the recycling business, meaning that the materials or parts coming from um, one type of device, let's call it A, uh, once it's reached its first, uh, the end of its first life cycle, and it's being dismantled and prepared for recycling, some parts of it uh, could be a part, could be a raw material that can actually be recycled back to be used to make not a lunchbox, not a mouse, but an actual another device A that is cradle to cradle. So in this case, we do work with the OEM's virgin material suppliers and help them to close the loop, especially with high-end electronics like laptops and tablets and mobile phones. The plastics used in these devices are not generic plastic. They're engineering plastics with special polymers or glass fiber, carbon fiber put into them. We don't just give it to a generic plastic recycler, and it's very wasteful. Not much can be recovered from it. We work with the virgin engineering plastic supplier who made it in the first place, and they can use it to make an exact new device, device A. And so it's a rebirth, cradle to cradle. What about hazardous materials? Number one, how do you protect the workers in these facilities from exposure to those hazardous materials? Number two, how much of those hazardous materials can be recycled? And of that portion that cannot be recycled, what do you do with them? Every country and state and municipality have... Uh, designated or specially licensed hazardous waste processors. We don't deal with CRTs or refrigerators as much at all nowadays. 
But in the odd events that we do come across those things, um, the, the tubes or, for example, the coolants, those are classified as hazardous material, and then they are put into concealed containers and uh, trans- and then the hazardous waste processor will come and pick it up in special vehicles. Now, to protect the workers, obviously, we train all of our workers with the same standard, no matter which country they're in, uh, same level of safety um, standards and equipped it with masks and protective uniforms and gloves and, and everything. Um, but in addition to that, I believe the most important thing is to handle the actual hazardous material properly. For example, battery is hazardous because, especially with lithium battery, if it's not handled properly, it can cause fire. So we have a special procedure and protocol to deal with lithium batteries, uh, special packaging. Uh, they're each individual piece of batteries put into to be stored. And of course, to, you asked about how much hazardous material can be recycled. I do not have the exact figure for that, but I know there are good, uh, for, for batteries, especially lithium batteries is what we commonly see nowadays, um, there are rare earth material uh, refineries that we work with uh, that can recycle and recover the, the lithium and rare earth elements from the batteries. Now, there are all kinds of recycling programs around the world, not just in electronic waste, paper, glass, uh, and, and the like. And a lot of these programs are really up and running and very strong, and yet a lot of them don't make money. They, they cost money. Mm-hmm. What you've described seems like a very high-touch, high-resource-intensive type of operation. Is it profitable? Can it be profitable? Or is it just a cost we all have to incur uh, to protect against the, uh, the improper disposal of electronic waste? So as I've mentioned in one of my answers to your previous question, it, is, it has always been a very costly effort, um, I believe, is mainly because the lack of an integrated solution. Um, if everybody only does one part of it, some does the collection, some does um, the data wipe, some does the metal, um, it, it is really not cost effective. It's very difficult to reach economy of scale because the challenge, the biggest challenge in the reverse supply chain or the recycling industry is that you can never predict or forecast volume, like how much or how many is coming your way at any given point in time. So it's very difficult to do production planning. Uh, your overhead is going to be extremely high, uh, hard to you know, reach any kind of economy of scale with your capacity, especially if you're only doing a part of it. So we are big advocates of an end-to-end integrated solution. So in this case, we are quite profitable, if not very, um, in this case, because we're, we do everything end-to-end vertically integrated. So we're able to leverage a lot of overhead uh, investments and infrastructure investments and uh, reach economy of scale in what we do. What we have observed for a long time now in the industry is that most companies survive based on government subsidies. Um, I believe that's going to change. I think the industry is going through some consolidation right now. 
Well, we're almost out of time, but I just want to ask you one other question, and that is with this proliferation of electronic waste, the continuing growth of all these products, are you optimistic that we're going to be able to get our arms around this problem and not end up drowning in, uh, in electronic waste? Yes, I, I definitely believe so, especially all the engineers who are working on product design of newer uh, devices nowadays have recycling or recyclability in their mind, so they're all they're all now working towards designing products that are sustainable and they can be reused or or uh, remanufactured or very easily recycled at the end of its lifetime uh, versus some of the older generation products. So I think all the engineers in the front line who is um, designing these products are thinking that way. So therefore, there's definitely uh, um, I see a bright future for for this industry. Well, Linda Lee, I really want to thank you for being with us today to explain the situation and the problem of electronic waste and some creative ways in which the problem is being addressed today by Lee Tong and others as well. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Bob. That was my conversation with Linda Lee of Lee Tong Group talking about how we can close the loop in the recycling of electronic waste. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time. <laughs>